I have a link and I need to send it to you immediately. And you've probably already seen it, but I, I have to send it to you. I was hoping that this is one of those stories that like I would only see and no one else would care about it. But I have to assume that you've seen this at this point. But this is the exact kind of story that I am desperate for. So, bro, did you see this? Yes! Yes! <laughs> okay. <laughs> I didn't read anything about it because I figured that it would be brought up on this show, either by you or me. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so the headline of this very Florida story from Tampa Bay Times is they sold everything and bought a boat to sail the world. It sank on day two. And oh my gosh, man, this is a perfect story. Read it, read it to me. <laughs> okay, Tanner Broadwell and Nikki Walsh dreamed the same dream. Give up the rat race, go live on a sailboat, see the Caribbean, maybe the world. They sold everything they owned in Colorado. Last year, they bought a 28-foot sailboat in Alabama and headed for Tarpon Springs. They lived in a marina for months, getting the... Ah, man, this, this name does not translate well to reading aloud. I'm going to go with Lagniape. Lagniape, ready for their journey. They said their goodbyes on Tuesday and set sail for Key West. The next day, the dream died in John's Pass. Oh, man. The Lagniape sank Wednesday night while sailing into this fishing village turned tourist stop. Their former home sits capsized within sight of the bars and restaurants. Their belongings floated off to who knows where. Before they abandoned ship, Walsh grabbed their social security cards, some cash, his ID, and her phone, and Remy, their two-year-old pug. They have no jobs, no savings, and nowhere to go. So, I mean, good setup, right? Like, Great setup. These two people just trying to live the dream. This is like Margaritaville Central, you know? Like, you know what? Like, why do we have to work these dumb jobs? Couldn't we just get in a boat and sail the world? And weirdly enough, in this world, you kind of can, right? I mean, <laughs> they did it. Yeah. You know, if you have the money to go buy a boat, I mean, no one's going to stop you. Yeah. And if you want to sail that thing to Florida and sip a margarita, I mean, you can. So they did. In April, they bought a 1969 Columbia sailboat in Alabama for $5,000, then spent that much fixing the 49-year-old boat. They named it the Lagniape. Oh, here we go. Pronounced Laniap. So I was wrong. <laughs> We're so wrong. It's cre Creole for bonus. <laughs> yeah, like the 13th donut in a dozen, Broadwell said. It's something extra for you. Now here's the key sentence, okay? The, the, the key sentence, the, the crux of this entire thing. Here it is. They had no sailing experience. <laughs> what dummies why would you think that you can sail a boat like in a harbor let alone to the keys yes it's so good his father helped them sail on along the gulf coast from alabama to panama city that's how the couple learned to sail they reached tarpon springs in may they docked at mar marina where broadwell got a job they worked on the hull rewired the boat and got it ready for their journey we met a bunch of good people, he said. Everybody gave us a nice farewell off the docks. They set sail Tuesday, anchoring off Ancloak Key. The next day, they passed by Clearwater Beach and made their way to John's Pass to dock for the night. Then it all went wrong. But I would argue that it didn't go wrong there. It went wrong, you know, back when you said that sentence about never learning how to sail. 
Like, you know, if, if I got, okay, if I got into an airplane, right, and I managed to take off, and you wrote a story about how I, like, killed myself in a terrible plane accident where I crashed into the ground, you wouldn't start the then-it-all-went-wrong part when I crashed. <laughs> Drew, having never flown a plane... Managed to Got get the plane off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> then it all went wrong. Yeah, like no, that's that's the problem. Yeah, we don't need to we don't need to look any further than that one sentence to figure out where it all went wrong. So here's here's the story. It was about eight forty five p.m. Which I love, by the way, that that whole thing was just backstory. Which that's a good backstory for any you know any problem to ever have. They're pretty. It thorough. was about eight forty five. It really was. It was about 8.45 p.m. when they sailed into a new port, navigating a channel they had never sailed before, in the dark, fog rolling in. Broadwell steered while Walsh stood at the bow, lighting their path with the spotlight, trying to figure out the navigational buoys. But the red and green buoys seemed out of place, they said. Which, you know, editors note, right? How do they know? And the shoal where their 2016-2017 navigational chart said it should be. Had Hurricane Irma altered the channel? Then it happened. The Lanny app struck something underwater. Walsh almost flew off the deck. Waves rolled the sailboat. It dipped from side to side, almost going under. Broadwell realized the keel had been ripped off the bottom. Water started to leak into the cabin. They put their life jackets on. Remy, too. Thank you. Article. Walsh dialed Sito, the AAA of the marine world. My hands are shaking, she said. I know I probably sound like a crazy person to them. I'm stuttering, trying to talk to them. They said they would be here in 40 minutes. I thought, that's a long time to spend out here. Which, I would agree. <laughs> I never knew that about boats. That if you have something go wrong, I, that you just call AAA? You're screwed. <laughs> you know, like tri- boat AAA? Dude, so, yeah, you like call that or like the Coast Guard? Um, on my, uh-huh. when we were kids, we went out on a boat with my dad and my mom and my brothers and our boat, just like the engine died. And we were out there waiting for help to come for like two hours or something like in the middle of the night. Really? Yeah. My mom was so pissed. That's not fair. It's the ocean. Walsh ran into the flooded cabin and grabbed what little she could. The crash had thrown their things onto the floor. Now their stuff was floating. I was just standing there in awe, she said. I just lost everything I ever owned. I see my things floating away and I can't get to them. Sito arrived about an hour later and just in time. The Laniap was sinking in about nine feet of water and about to roll over. It was too shallow for the towboat to approach and get them off the sailboat. Abandoned ship. The couple had to jump into the water. I think you could sense our tragedy, Broadwell said. What a sentence. I sold everything I had to do this, and I lost everything in a matter of 20 minutes. So, I'm sorry. Yep. This is so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's, so I'll, I'll go ahead and just conclude. The rest of the night is a blur. Stranded on the side of the road with no help, some cash and no credit cards, Broadwell's mother found them an Uber driver kind enough to spend hours helping them find a cheap motel room. I don't really know what that means. How do you find an Uber driver who will drive you around? Does that mean that? They paid an Uber driver to without a destination. Does that mean that she like started an Uber and actually then like called the guy and said, "Hey, I actually don't want to pay you for a ride." Like I really am baffled. Like they just say it like that's a normal thing that you do. Like yeah, remember that time I found an Uber driver that took me around the city? You know, like no, I don't. In this story, Uber doesn't actually mean an app that we're all familiar with. It actually means <laughs> yeah. like city yeah. helper. Thursday morning, the cavalry started arriving. People came out of nowhere, Walsh said. Everyone just started showing up to help us. 
Their new friends in Tarpon Springs drove down to help. Broadwell's mother arrived from Jacksonville. They had no insurance, nor will the Laniap ever sail again. Its blue hull sticks out of the water in low tide. In fact, the Coast Guard told the couple they need to get their boat out of there. It could cost up to $10,000 to remove and store it. They have about 90. Dang. First off, um, haha. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Second off, <laughs> what do you expect? Like, I'm just sick of people not having common sense. You don't know how to sail, so you go get a sailboat. Rather than like, hey, babe, um, I want to go sail, you know, the ocean. That's great. How about we get sailing lessons first? See if we can manage that. And then if we got the hang of it, then we'll buy a boat. They got they got their stuff in the wrong order. Let's buy the boat. Hey, Dad, can you, like, teach me how to sail? And then, okay, thanks. I think I got it. I think I got it from here. <laughs> I'm going to go now to the Keys. What, did they train for like two days, one day? Yeah. I don't think it was enough time. I don't think they knew what they were doing or getting themselves into. No way. They lost everything save for the shirts on their backs. Well, one shirt. Broadwell wasn't wearing a shirt when he jumped ship. No. I woke up today and I was like, <laughs> yeah, I woke up today and I was like, I don't have that, he said Friday, or anything I had. They're relying on family and friends right now to get by. They just got some new clothes and shoes from Walmart. They have no idea how they'll pay for it to remove the boat or even where they'll live. Broadwell said they didn't have much to begin with. Why do you think we wanted to live on a boat? <laughs> boat is like not a cheap like hobby. I know. Why don't you go straight for a boat? Why not do an RV or something? <laughs> Gosh. They might stay with his mother, then float around the state looking for work. They're still figuring it out, but they're still alive, and so is the dream. <laughs> I'm not going to give up now, Broadwell said. I'm going to get another boat down the road. We can't just give up on our dreams, Walsh said. Uh, I hate that so much. Give up, my dude. (laughs) (laughs) No. No, there's no giving up. So the follow-up to that story is in the time that I read that and saved that and shared that with you. I allegedly started a GoFundMe, and that GoFundMe did make about $14,000. Oh, cool. Good for them. So maybe they'll get a boat after all. No, don't. They better not use that fourteen grand for the boat. <laughs> they better use it to. But how good would it be if there was another story about them sinking another boat? It'd be perfect. I'd be so happy. Cyclical. Yeah, no, no, don't do a boat, guys. Okay, so speaking of hot off the press, fresh things, um, bro, did you see this? American woman competes in skiing despite being terrible skier. No. This is awesome. So the Olympic skier who can barely ski, wobbly U.S.-born Harvard graduate competes in half-pipe event for Hungary despite not being able to do any tricks. Really? Um, Yeah. So there's a video, and I really need you to watch it. (laughs) It's so good. Liz Swaney dropping in, trying to get into this right wall for a nice, just getting up to the top of the wall. Going for these grabs, the safety grab you'll see there, and then opting for another just cruising up to the top of the wall, showing the judges she can make it down this half pipe clean. Oh, this is no good. (laughs) This is no good. Oh, man, I love it so much. She just is kind of skiing, huh? Yeah. She went backwards. That was cool. So what's this lady, like just more and more facts are coming out about her. So... She's U.S. based, okay, but she is skiing for Hungary, which that's fine. Hungary, uh-huh. but 
wasn't even her first choice of country. She initially was registered to ski for Venezuela. That's good. And then she was like, I guess maybe the competition was too stiff there. And so she was like, well, I'll ski for Hungary. I just looked at a cursory glance of this article, and there's so much to dissect and unpack here. Right? There's a, a lot going on. Okay, so right. So basically what happened is this is the, what, what was that, the, the freestyle ski? It's like a half pipe event. Yeah, freestyle ski. Yeah, where you're you're going down and you get to go up and down on this half pipe as you go from the top of the hill to the bottom. And you're supposed to do sick tricks. And instead of doing sick tricks, she just kind of, you know, took a took a leisurely <laughs> stroll down the half pipe. And I I I, I want to say that she still did way better than I could have done. Yes, yes, that's uh, I. I totally agree. She's a she's a competent skier, but it's, there's a difference between a competent skier and a professional Olympian. Yeah, exactly. So Harvard educated Silicon Valley worker Elizabeth Sweeney, 33, finished 24th out of 24 competitors today after spending years entering competitions around the world and usually finishing last so this is not a new thing for her this wasn't some little this is her jam this is her jam (laughs) okay very awesome so i kind of dig it you know i mean that's some confidence right what no that's not confidence you want to hear confidence (laughs) (laughs) so a harvard graduate which props to her you know that she got in there Yes. Who once ran against Arnold Schwarzenegger in the race to be California governor. Oh, man. Swainy only started, right? Swainy only started skiing at 25 and has been driven ever since in her quest to compete at an Olympics. Okay, so here's a question for you, okay? Is it better to not compete in the Olympics at all or compete in the Olympics and come in dead last. Surprisingly, I think competing in the Olympics and coming in dead last. So, I mean, that's that's a victory, right? Your, your name is in a history book. Yeah, I'm I'm not in the Olympics. Yeah, no, we're we're very just mediocre. We're not in the Olympics. No, yeah. But so I was reading. I don't know if it says it in this article, but in another article I was reading. Again, this was like my morning. I woke up to seeing this lady, and I was like, oh my gosh. So she just enters in these uh, preliminaries and these like um, uh, trials and there's like – so you have to be uh, like 30th or you have to place in the 30 – you know, top 30th mm-hmm. to get into the Olympics in so many different races. Mm-hmm. But she enters races that don't even have 30 contestants. So she places <laughs> – she places no matter what. I didn't know that you could do that. Can we please do that next year? Can't, well, I guess the Olympics aren't next year. But can we do that next time the Olympics come around? They're coming to L.A. in the summer. Oh, my God. Can we just... Wait, they're coming to L.A. in the summer? Uh, Not this summer, but like they're scheduled in like 2020 or something like that to come to L.A., I believe. No, it's uh, Japan still. Oh, you're right. So when... Then is it after that? Oh, my gosh. L.A. 2028. Okay. Oh, okay. That's so, what it is. Ben, you and me, L.A. 2028. We have we have some time. Okay, so this lady, she she didn't ski until, until she was 25, and she's 33 now. So we have about that much time. We have a, a solid decade to not get good at a thing. <laughs> a decade. But just... <laughs> we can have... I could get married. You could have kids. A lot could happen in a decade. <laughs> I, 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 that's okay. 
that's okay. We're going to find those sports that no one has signed up for. And I mean, I don't know. Who do you want to go? Can you can you think you could get in for, you know, for for your for your country, man? Dude, I totally would do it. If if there was a category that like wasn't, you know, frequented, I totally would do it. Yeah. The thing is, the the Summer Olympics seem like they're more competitive and more like hard to get in. That's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot less fakers <laughs> in the summer. <laughs> I know, but maybe, you know, if you if you go in for, you know, your your home of of Cuba. Oh my gosh, I'm going to represent Cuba. Oh my gosh. My dad would be so proud. Yeah. And I'll just I'll figure out where a, a white relative of mine came from. I'm sure that there's a couple countries. Bro, you totally could do like Germany, Netherlands. You know, you. I'm sure you got some ties. <laughs> yeah, all of those. Yeah, it's all of those in there. I'll just say, look, look at me. I'm very white. It's okay. <laughs> just look at me, <laughs> dude. So she she was quoted saying, uh, "I have been focusing on my Olympic experience, but also on the half fight here and here here, and trying to go higher each time and getting more spins in." Lady, you got no spins in. So wait, she's been focusing on her Olympic experience? Like, I just wanted to have a good time, don't at me? Like, is that what she's saying? She's basically doing what we want to do. Yeah, this is amazing. It also says in the article that although she completed both runs without falling, Sweeney did not attempt a trick any more advanced than an alley-oop on her way to scores of 30 and 31.4. Sweeney's best score still left her 13 points behind 23rd place Diane Lila Frisailing, who slipped on both runs. So the person in front of her fell down a whole lot, and they were still like, yeah, that's that was a better job. So <laughs> oh, <laughs> points for trying. Uh, yeah, man, this is this is really this is really incredible. And I I don't know if you thought that I was going to be find a new hero when you sent this to me, but I found a new hero. And I'm definitely going to gear up for 2028 and try to follow in Sweeney's footsteps. Her best finish came at Secret Garden in China when she finished 13 out of 15 athletes. Yo. While a majority of her Olympic rivals were competing in the U.S. Grand Prix at Copper Mountain or on the <laughs> Dew Tour. This is the way forward. This is the way forward, okay? I never thought about this. You have to, to, to be in one of these events. Step one, find an event no one wants, okay? So we got to just figure it out. Like, what's something that no one's going to sign up for in the first place, okay? That we could actually do. Yeah. And then step two, what, where can I do this around the world where just people are going to let me in? I'm going to have to pay a fee, and they're just going to let me compete. And then I get to say that I'm a competitor. And then step three is where can I compete that no one good will be there? So that I don't come dead last. Because that's the thing, right? Like, I competed, I came 13th out of 15th. Hungary looked at that and said, ah, pretty good, you know? What they didn't know was that everyone that was good was somewhere else. And still 13th out of 15th. And I I love this. This master plan to get into the Olympics very much. And you you gotta pick a country that doesn't usually do that event, too. Yeah, exactly. So, like, Cuba, I, I almost, I have to... Cuba, I have to do like an ice event, I bet. <sighs> Thank you for sharing that with me. I loved it so much. So we both saw Black Panther. Yes, we did. Should we Should we talk about that? I think we should. Um, okay. <laughs> I we don't have to have to spoil it. I just I'm curious your thoughts. Well, no, let's let's spoil it, man. <laughs> what the heck? If you're listening to this and you haven't watched it, why would you be listening to this? Just pause it. 
and go and watch it and then come back and continue listening to it. That's totally fine. All right. But <laughs> this was a very good Marvel movie, which I think you kind of know what I mean by that, because I have a certain feeling towards all Marvel movies to begin with. Uh, superhero movies too, though, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Superhero movies, yeah. Gotcha. H- how did you feel about it? So, <clears throat> I... I'll say I'll start off by saying I thought it was really good, uh, great even, but it was totally different than what I was expecting. Well, what were you expecting? I don't even have a fully fleshed out thought. Like the plot was pretty surprisingly simple. Um, not a lot of crazy twists and turns. Mm-hmm. The story was pretty straightforward. You know, there's a couple characters that I would have liked to have had more screen time. Um, specifically, Michael B. Jordan. I thought he was captivating in the like little bits that we saw him and which is a testament to like the writing and his acting and you know and people are heralding like the best marvel villain you know in forever it's like man he was on the screen for no time Mm. um comparatively like that main car chase scene that wasn't even with him that was with another villain so yeah a lot of weird changes or a lot of weird choices in the movie um again i don't think it was bad i don't think that you know it didn't doesn't deserve the praise and the hype i don't know if i'll put it in like the top five top three you know marvel movies but i thoroughly enjoyed it i walked away very happy i wasn't like ah i can't believe they did this or i can't believe they tried that it was really smart really um a lot of cool commentary on like today's you know politics and a lot of cool inter race like african americans african you know natives that was like a cool uh story and like theme that was exp- uh, explored so yeah overall i liked it um but i probably need to see it like maybe one or one or two more times to like really vibe with it but um yeah so i, I would say it's it's good it's not like oh my gosh amazing like everyone is saying. I mean, I've heard people say it's the best movie they've ever seen, period. Forget about superhero, forget about black film, forget about whatever. Like, best film, period. And so when you go into a movie with that, you're like, uh, okay, chill out. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually hadn't really heard anything about it. So I hadn't heard good or bad, really. I saw a couple people reviewing it on my Twitter timeline that said just nice things and a few people that just said mediocre things. So I wasn't like ready to be blown away. I think that this scale is one of the things I liked the most about the movie. You know, this has been a problem for me for superhero movies for so long is that every single movie needs to like end the world forever. And the stakes weren't that high in this movie. It was just a kind of personal one city, one city. Yeah. And you could, you could kind of get this understanding that if things don't go well, then things are going to go poorly later. But there was no moment where you felt like this is the the penultimate battle and if you know this if this goes wrong then the world's over and of course it won't go wrong so there's no real stakes at all actually the the one of my least favorite parts of the entire movie was the fact that they had those ships that needed to get shot down by American CIA guy yeah because i felt like that was kind of their way of doing that anyways and like making it a secondary plot instead of a primary plot of, uh-oh, here it is. This is the threat that you have to stop. But I, I actually really appreciated just how unimportant that felt in the scheme of things. 
and how it was really just a story about one person overcoming their own failures and like familial fa- failures to do something good. Yeah, I did appreciate that. I I like that a lot. Um, you say it. Yeah, you you say it really interestingly because you said you liked that the scale was smaller, and I think maybe that's why I didn't love it all the way. Not because it was small. I think I appreciate you know a smaller uh, uh, slice of life type film, but I almost wish they would have leaned more heavily into one small story that they even attempted to frame it like it could potentially end the world, you know, with the ships or a lot of their actions or a lot of their emotions and feelings were like, yeah, the world's going to end. But in reality, it's like you said, okay, if things don't go right here down the road, they'll be harder. And I almost wish it would have been more like political drama and intrigue and, you know, like this mischievous or like this, um, this scheme, this plot to to kill the king, or I don't know. I kind of wish I would have saw like machinations behind the scenes, things like that, almost like a Shakespearean play. I think I would have appreciated that appreciated that more than the you know end in the field big battle scene. Yeah, I feel like maybe the thing that even we're both feeling, and again, I, I just walked out of the movie theater, so it's kind of fresh in my mind, and I haven't necessarily formulated opinions entirely, but. I think maybe we're feeling the fact that it's kind of stuck in the middle of this small scale story and the blockbuster that it's like supposed to be (laughs) because, you know, if like the antithesis of a Hollywood blockbuster action movie is like a character study, which is my favorite kind of movie where nothing really happens, but you just see into a character for a long time. Yeah. This movie doesn't really get to be either or. Like, it has to be a blockbuster, but it's also doing a little bit of the character study thing. So if you're going to see a character study, you won't see it. And if you're going to see a blockbuster, you won't get the full effect of a blockbuster. Not that I'm saying that it even was a bad blockbuster. I think it was fine. But I think that we're all a little tired of those right now. And them trying to do something else was good. But this is the whole thing about Marvel and DC and now the LucasArts movies having this problem with, letting an artist come and do stuff because I'd be very curious to see what concessions the main script or the main concept for the movie had to make to become a Marvel approved script. But I mean, I thought it was really cool. Like even what you were saying, I was really struck by the fact that T'Challa was such a good person at at first they kind of had that like what did they say like don't freeze yeah don't freeze and he goes i never freeze yeah i thought that that they were going to make that be his big achilles heel that he's always like not quite prepared and there's going to be a few moments in the movie where he's about to do something important and at the last moment he can't because he's not ready but they didn't really do that like he's a good he's a good person and he's well prepared and he's a good fighter and he's not this jerk like a lot of other superheroes are you know the doctor strange has to go through the dark night of the soul personally to become a different person yeah or iron man you know always kind of stuck in himself and obsessed like there was no there was no inner personal problem for him to battle and i really liked that actually i just think that because it wasn't able to be a full character study you didn't get the full effect of enjoying that like i wish there would have been more scenes where he was in that afterlife place yeah yeah i wish that they would have had more of those scenes for him and for 
What's the bad guy's name? Was it Killmonger? Eric Killmonger, yeah. Okay, let's let's take a a pause really quick because that okay is that is that his name in the comic book? His his name in the comic book is just Killmonger, Mm. and in the this movie they named him like his real name is like Eric Williams or something like that. And in like the military, he had so many kills that they called him the Killmonger. Yeah, this was the first time where I felt that bit of dissonance as someone who's not like a big comic book fan. Um, and I've always wondered that. Like, uh, I can't remember any other movies where that's been very apparent. But, you know, Captain America or Ant-Man or something, when they say the name and the audience is supposed to know who it is, you know. I think, it, what was it, in Ant-Man, yeah. the kind of father figure is Hank Pym, who was like the original Ant-Man. Mm-hmm. And they never, I guess maybe they explained that in the movie. But as soon as they say the name, you're supposed to be like, ah, oh, there it is. There's the Ant-Man connection. I remember that from the comic. And this was the first marvel movie that i went to where i felt like there was a few of those scenes and i just totally missed them and i was like this scene doesn't work as well when i don't (laughs) know the backstory for all of these characters (laughs) like i guess guardians of the galaxy you know that was a a movie where i hadn't seen the comic but i felt like they assumed that no one had read the comic when they were making that movie yeah um thor i never really read the comics but it's it's based on Norse mythology, so... Mm, loosely, but yeah. You, you know what I mean. When they say Odin, I'm like, yeah, I know who that is. Yeah, you know, gotcha. I don't have to read a comic to know who freaking Odin is. But with Black Panther, this was the first time where... And I haven't, by the way, and I have not seen Thor the Dark World or Thor Ragnarok, so I might feel the same way in those movies. Yeah. But this was the first time where I just felt like, why, why do you keep saying killmonger that way i'm supposed to i'm supposed to resonate with this in a way that i clearly don't and i'm i'm sorry like i need to go and read a comic i guess before i can feel this way but uh uh to your to your earlier point that you were saying that's funny though that you felt that way because this is probably one of the first comics that i don't know as much about yeah um so i i was very like oh i'm just a regular audience member oh i didn't know that oh that's cool right so there's that and then to your point that he was a nice guy and he really didn't have that much um, like challenges or internal you know, dialogue. One, I agree. I really would have loved to have seen that. Um, you know, just him fighting with himself or him fighting with his father and just... Because those were powerful scenes when he was like, no, you're wrong. You're, they really were. You know, that, that was some of the best stuff. Um, but I, I think we're getting the sequel of uh, Black Panther. Uh, I'll explain. So he showed up in Civil War, uh, movie Captain America. Yeah, which I never saw. Yeah, Captain America 3. And he was incredibly vengeful and brash and immature, and he was a jerk in Civil War. And, you know, a turn of events changes his heart, and he actually like, oh, man, I, uh, I need to change my ways. So he's already going into this having some character development. I think that's why he's a nice guy. He's, his eyes are widening to the world, the surrounding world and, you know, the universe that he's involved with. Not like galactic, but like the, the earth. Like he's a global citizen, not just a Wakandan prince. So I think we're getting that, like the upside of that, but I almost wish they would have like kept him, at least for the start of it, more in line with that Civil War version. 
and then evolves him into the, you know, peace-loving challenger that he is. That That's funny, you know, because I didn't see Civil War. I didn't even really know that he was in that movie. And I picked up that I I assumed that he was because there was this kind of throwaway line when uh, they're fixing up the CIA guy. Yeah. Where they say something like, oh, good, another white guy to fix up. And yep. I was like, ah, oh, this is probably... Like, I, I I remember seeing a picture of, like, him and uh, Captain America, and I think, oh, he was probably in that movie, wasn't he? So because of that, I felt like maybe the first half hour wasn't as impactful as it could have been if it was a standalone movie, like a real standalone movie, because they were assuming that you were coming in with this. And, like, did, did his father get assassinated in Civil War? Yeah. So, you know, they, they show you a couple flashbacks, and it's it's almost like... This is the problem for me with these sequel, sequelized, you know, sequel and sequel and sequel, big, let's keep building the universe over and over and over again type things where this movie wasn't as effective as a standalone movie would have been as, you know, the director's own other standalone movies were like Creed. Yeah. Because, which is funny because that's, that's, that is a part of a franchise, but so far removed from the source material. Oh, yeah. You could go in totally blind. Yeah, exactly. So because of that, I I didn't love the movie, but it's I want it's like a weird thing where even though I didn't like love 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 the film, I loved the narrative and I loved the characters and I loved the world. I I, I really enjoyed it all. So it's kind of I don't think I have that experience that often where even though I felt like there was a few things going wrong, I still had a really good time and I really appreciated it as a whole. You couldn't have said it better. I, that, uh, yeah, I totally agree, and that's the best way to say it. The film, overall, wasn't in love with, but yes, the characters were so rich, the world was so interesting. Like I would def- definitely you know, go see a sequel and see that universe again, see that world and those characters and those ideas. I, I am concerned, though, they used three villains in one movie. So I don't know where they're going to go for the sequel. Was uh, who were the other villains? Was it so Claw is one of Black Panther's like main main villains, and he actually uh-huh. unites Black Panther and the Fantastic Four a lot in the comics. Um, so and he's you know kaputs. Uh-huh. Uh, Killmonger is another big villain, uh, and he's kaputs. Uh-huh. And then Umbaku is actually a villain, and he is a a cannibal, and he eats flesh. Oh. And he gets his powers from eating a rare white gorilla, and he's like a crazy guy. So they definitely tamed him way down and made him an ally. But so yeah, they used three yeah. characters, and I was like, oh man, you guys should have consolidated and like maybe keep Umbaku, you know, because that's cool that he challenged him and lost. But then streamlined Claw and Killmonger. I don't know. It's cool, but I also was like, oh man, they they just destroyed their. Uh, their runway. That's really interesting. I, by the way, I loved the character of Mbaku. I thought that was such a neat character to have this very strong, yeah, he was great, interesting, you know, opinionated and very different leader who ends up becoming united for like the greater good in a way, yeah, because of the challenge and all of that. And I, I, I really liked that a lot. He was actually one of my favorite parts of the entire film. Yeah, mine too. But yeah, yeah, it was. It's interesting. This is. I just feel like this is going to be something that'll be intriguing as time goes on with these Marvel movies. What's next? Do you remember what... Are there other movies that are slated to be, you know, coming up after... So in May, they have uh, Infinity War. It's like the culmination. Yeah, the huge one. 
And then uh, Ant Man. That yeah, that's Ant Man and the Wasp, the sequel in July. And then at the end of the year, like in November, they have Captain Marvel with Brie Larson, and it's in the nineties. Okay, that's interesting. And then uh, another Spider Man is coming, right? Yeah, the following year, I believe. This is to me kind of a template for their upcoming movies. That that that's what it felt like, and I could be wrong, but changing up the dynamic of it, it man i i don't know i'm like i'm struggling to even think about if i if that's right or not because no, in a, in, in a totally weird way right. this is also going to infinity war though right so it's yes. kind of leading up to that but it just felt like it was its own thing and i never saw uh spider-man homecoming but i got the vibe that that sort of was a little bit too and i just what what i'm trying to say is i would imagine that the movies that Marvel makes in the future that are independent one superhero films are going to be a lot more like uh, Solo, you know, like literally like the Han Solo movie, yeah. you know, or uh, Rogue One. These kinds of let, let's tell a, a, our own story that has a real beginning and a real ending. And yeah, it'll tie into the bigger story and maybe it'll set up something that'll happen in the future or it'll tie up something that happened in the past. But let's contain it. Because, I don't know, I just feel like none of the other stories did a very good job of that. If you asked me to, in one or two sentences, sum up the entire plot of most Marvel movies, I'd have a hard time, especially if Thanos and the Infinity Stones had anything to do with it. I, I remember feeling that way, maybe it was the Avengers, where uh, Loki has the scepter that has the infinity ring in it or something like that or or infinity stone in it and i just remember being really confused by that and i felt like it was serving a bigger plot than the plot that i was expecting to watch and i feel the same way about thor i feel the same way about captain america there are really big things that are trying to do a lot in the story but i mean black panther the the plot is very simple you know man assumes the throne and somebody challenges it like that's that's the whole plot, you know. And when you get when you get to spend the whole two hours focused in on that one singular narrative, that's really awesome, and that makes it very clear to people, no matter how connected they are to the universe. Can he have uh, a place in the bigger franchise? Of course he will, and that'll be in the next movie, and I guess in the last movie. But it just felt very contained in a good way. Uh, I I also just loved. The amount of attention they gave to the women. Yeah, that was really awesome. And they made them such strong three-dimensional characters. And the uh, kind of main guard has a major victory over basically an entire army. And there was never any huge, weird gender dynamics. It wasn't like a, a big part of the movie either way. Yeah, they played it very naturally. It just felt very natural and very, very good overall and i i really appreciated that so it it was very fun and as much as i don't love action scenes in any movie there there was some pretty dope stuff happening in that movie so it it was cool yeah yeah i got to say even um that the the dora milaje the women you know the guard yeah i feel like they came off more badass than even black panther in a lot of scenes they were sick yeah i was more impressed with um denai Guer- Guer- guerrera she's like from walking dead she was she killed it. She stole all the scenes, and and then uh, Letitia uh, Wright, uh, the sister, she was fantastic. Oh, she was so awesome. Yeah, I loved her. Yeah, the women in this movie were great, and and especially Lupita Nyong'o. Yeah. She man, she was so good. You could have renamed this movie 
you know, the women of Wakanda. <laughs> Spin down at the bottom, one to the left, and then a nice cruise 360 to switch, trying to show that she has a little style down at the bottom. Queenie completes her first run of these games, the 34 year old from Hungary. Will it be enough to just tempt the judges? You see Laney here not having the difficulty or the amplitude here on this run. Unfortunately, just a little small and not grabbing her tricks. 